0: well that is our subject for today that we've been redeemed the doctrine of redemption which has got to be one of my favorite and i wouldn't be surprised if it was one of yours some of you as well so to that end if you'd turn to the book of romans romans chapter 3 and we will be starting today in verse 21 But before we launch into it, there are a couple of very important things that we need to touch on together. Believe it or not, we're on the verge of the final stage of just before the launch of a whole new chapter in the life of our congregation as we go two words, forward together, which will be our theme until he brings us our next pastor, forward together. As Joey said, next weekend you'll be voting on three things, on our mission and values, on the size of the pastoral search committee, and on the members of the committee. These really are landmark decisions in the life of FEC, so we'll have a slightly shorter sermon today so I can do it justice in terms of what's going to be happening to tee it up um, for uh, next weekend to tee it up in a way that prepares you, the priesthood uh, of all believers, to cast an informed vote after thinking about these things uh, in advance of the meetings rather than just springing all this on you, you know, minutes before the vote. When it comes to our mission and values, as you all know, we've gone through an uh, an extended process that among many other things, uh, resulted in this. In 16 drafts over many months, that included a significant input, not just from the transition team that, that, that roughed them out, hammered them out, but it also included significant input from the staff, and not just from the staff, but from session, and not just from session, but from the congregation. And um, the first question on the next ballot will be this. In light of what you've seen of the mission and values, with the transition team, staff, and session, am I at least 80% in favor of the wording and intent of the final draft of our mission and values? Let me say that again. With the transition team, staff, and session, I am at least 80% in favor of the wording and intent of the final draft of our mission and values this is the same 80% criterion that we use with the transition team uh, with the staff and with the session that's because you'll never get 100% agreement on the wording of anything (laughs) right and so we've been using what's called the 80% rule and what that means is this so far 100% uh, or the 100-80 rule it means that 100% of the transition team end of the staff, end of the session, are at least 80% on board with the wording intent of the final draft of our mission and values. It's actually more like 95% of them. Uh, th- they're more like 95% on board, and some are 100% good with the, the, the way it currently stands, and that is really good. And now it's your turn to weigh in. With the congregational vote, we're going to be looking for a supermajority for a supermajority as a minimum for two thirds of you to be at least eighty percent on board. To prepare yourself for this vote, if you weren't at the informational meetings, we've had four of them so far, but if you weren't at one of them when we presented mission and values for congregational input, you can listen to the video version of the meeting and of the discussion that's now uh, up on our website. And to get there, just go to our homepage and click on the third big button that's on the homepage, the one that says this week's communication, and it will take you there so you can watch the video. This uh, slide presentation is there as well that you can click through. We also have copies of our mission and values uh, over uh, on the Connect Center if you wanna uh, pick one up today. Again, please do your homework here so that you can cast an informed vote. The second thing you'll be voting on is the size of the search committee. You'll be doing this because that's what the, <laughs> the Evangelical Presbyterian Church Book of Order requires. It doesn't specify any size for a search committee. So it leaves that up to the churches to decide. And then the, uh, it says that the churches need to vote on that. And so what we're recommending, just so you can be thinking about this, is a committee of seven. Rather than a committee of 13 like was used last time around. For many reasons, uh, Interim Pastor Ministries and other consultants generally recommend a smaller uh, rather than a larger committee. As one of our manuals says, for most churches, five to seven members should be enough for the committee. Determine the suitable number according to resident membership. Smaller membership churches should not need more than five members. Larger membership churches may be served well by seven members. Guard against too large a committee. When a committee becomes too large, and many of you have probably experienced this in the workaday world on large church committees or whatever, uh, when a committee becomes too large, everything about the committee process becomes more complicated and prolonged than is necessary or often helpful. But you might be thinking doesn't a smaller committee you know underrepresent the congregation for such an important thing as our next pastor. Well, in our case, if you think about it, a larger committee has already done a good part of what a search committee typically uh, does and that is the transition team which was a committee of 11. That was a larger committee Usually the search committee is the one that develops the church profile, the pastoral profile, which includes mission and values. So in a way, we're getting the best of both worlds, a larger committee for the sake of greater congregational involvement in key areas like mission and values, and then a smaller search committee which will uh, uh, significantly expedite or speed up the process, or at least is more likely to. (laughs) So the second item on the ballot after mission and values will be the size of the committee. And again, we're recommending a committee of seven for those reasons. The third and final item on the ballot will be, of course, for the committee uh, members themselves. Uh, This, uh, again, there will be a slate of seven and you'll be able to vote for them either individually or for the group as a whole, just like we do uh, at our annual meeting with elders and deacons you'll be seeing the final slate of candidates in this coming week's uh, e-bulletin along with a brief bio and picture of each candidate. It will be in your inbox uh, early this coming Thursday morning and this will give you three days to think and pray about it and to ask questions uh, before uh, you'll be voting. To uh, maintain social distancing, we'll have to do a three-part meeting after each of the three services. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable attending in person, we'll have Zoom uh, available uh, in the Saturday service along with a way to vote uh, online. And that the, uh, there will be instructions for that in the e-bulletin as well. And I'll have more to say about that in just a bit. In all of this, we're following our bylaws and the procedures established by the Evangelical uh, Presbyterian Church for congregational voting in a COVID crisis. So... <laughs> There's a lot to juggle here, but we we can't do uh, mail-in ballots. They don't uh, permit that with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but we can do email ballots, so long as you are virtually present through Zoom, which again will be uh, on uh, Saturdays, uh, after Saturday's service at uh, 4.30. Again, uh, the instructions for doing this will be in the the e-bulletin. We do need a quorum. And there's no exceptions allowed to that, which is 153 members, not just attenders, between the three meetings, and that, that could be a challenge. So, uh, so please, you know, uh, we need you. Without a quorum, <laughs> we're kind of dead in the water. We can't launch our search committee. So please make it a point to participate and spread the word so we can move forward together. couple of other things. If you wanna make a nomination from the floor, you'll need to do that at the first meeting, the one that'll happen after the Saturday service uh, next week at 4.30, Um, so that people in all three meetings can then vote on any additions to the slate. And make sure that you ask them if they're willing to serve uh, before you do that. But you'll be presented with a slate of seven candidates. Uh, These are all nominees of the congregation. They were selected out of a field of 21 congregational nominations, all of whom agreed to serve. Uh, it was a great challenge to narrow it down to seven, believe me. They, uh, they were balancing a lot of factors, so it's not personal if if uh, uh, you weren't selected. They were chosen for a balance between men and women, four men. We needed three women. We wanted to include one elder uh, as well as an inactive elder and as broad, you know, an age distribution uh, as possible. As it ended up, four of the seven are 40 to 60 years old, and three are 60 uh, and above. No one's under 40, but it was not for lack of trying. Mo- most of the younger ones that were asked just did not have the time, understandably, with younger kids at home uh, to serve. So, to prepare yourself for the vote, uh, be looking for the e bulletin early this coming Thursday which will have our proposed slate of uh, search committee candidates. And if you weren't at the informational meetings on mission and values, be sure you listen to the online version that you again can c- access by going to the homepage and clicking the button that says this uh, week's information. Finally, I will not be here next week, so Jim Murphy will be both preaching at all three services and presiding at each of these very important ministries, uh, meetings that will happen after each of the three services. Uh, Julie and I will be on vacation for the next two Sundays. It's it's one that we were due to take, actually, a couple of months ago, but with the COVID crisis and the transition teamwork and a lot of other things, it was not possible for us to get away. In fact, it got so busy that I, if you remember, had Joey, Jim, and Jeff preach a couple of months ago uh, so I could focus on what was going on uh, behind the scenes. But believe me, it was not a vacation. So now's the time, Lord willing, <laughs> to get away. Um, well, we come today again, once again, like last week, to what the great expository preacher Donald Gray Barnhouse called the most important paragraph in the Bible. The equally great expositor Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there is no more important verses in the whole range and realm of Scripture than these. Martin Luther, here we have the chief point, the very central place of the book of Romans and of the whole Bible. (laughs) Whoa. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan divine, wrote that we have in here the very hinge and pillar of Christianity. All that in 10 verses. Verses that have brought on spiritual revolutions individually and pe- uh, from people all the way from Augustine who came to faith through these verses to Martin Luther. Spiritual revolutions in terms of the great awakenings were all founded uh, in one way or another right here. Paul knew that a few verses are all he needed. And he takes them and he drives them kind of like a stake into the heart of the bad news that we've been hearing about now for three chapters. And you're thinking, good riddance. A stake that plunges into grace that is far deeper than the bad news. Grace that is wider and greater, like we sing, than all our sins. Grace that can well up through hearts that have been broken by the bad news which is why we spent so long there. Broken because of their sin. And we're going to keep that stake of the good news there for a number of weeks so the grace can flow. This paragraph is prefaced, as we saw last week, by two, what have got to be two of the greatest words in the entire Bible, in the English language, indeed in any language. The two words that Paul begins with in Romans 3, starting in verse 21, where he says, after all that bad news, total despair, or so it feels, but now. But now, apart from the law that condemns us, because none of us can measure up. But now. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned. None of us are exempt from total depravity. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace, that was last week, through the, again, redemption, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Last week we looked at how we've been justified as a gift by His grace. This week the next phrase, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Last week we saw that justification means that He's pardoned all that depravity that we've been spending so long in. Declaring us not guilty, unbelievable. And he's given us, on top of that, a whole new identity. That's justification. But it's more than just this new, you know, legal identity that bears no relation to reality. No, it's a new, this week, a new uh, liberty that we receive immediately as a gift by his grace when we believe. The New Living Bible translates verse 24, yet now in God's gracious kindness, he declares us not guilty, justified, and he has done this through Christ, he he has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us, a new liberty. Or as most translations read, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, The great Puritan divine, again, Thomas Watson, said that the doctrine of redemption by Christ Jesus is a glorious doctrine. It is the marrow and quintessence of the gospel. So we'll spend two weeks here. And we're going to see both today and once I get back that the marrow uh, and quintessence of the doctrine of redemption is this. It's redemption from sin and redemption for him. And what does that mean? We've been freed from our union with sin, freed from sin. We don't have to be that way anymore. And we've been freed for our union with him. Two sides of the same coin. Freed at a grievous price. The blood of Christ. And freed we're going to see in three weeks for a, a glorious purpose. Redemption. There are three main Greek words for redemption that you'll find in the Bible. The first is agorazo, which comes from the Greek agora, which means marketplace. It means to go to the marketplace and to buy something. Applied to redemption, it means to go into the marketplace of slaves and purchase a slave who's on an auction, uh, an auction block. The second word, uh, uh, in addition to agorazo is for redemption, is ex agorazo. translated the same way, redemption. Ex means out of. So when you add it to agorazo, it means not just to go into a slave market and pay the price, it also means to take someone ex out of the slave market. The third word is lutron, which means once you've taken him out, to set him free. So agarazo means to purchase. Exagorazo means to purchase and to remove from the slave market. And lutron means having been purchased and removed to be set free. It means to, the purchase, the removal, and the release that's affected by the payment of a ransom. That's all in lutron. All three words are used in the New Testament, but Lutron is the climax of redemption. And Lutron, the one that focuses on the release, on the goal of it all, the freedom from sin, is what Paul uses here in Romans. When he says we've been justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, through the freedom from our union with sin. Paul goes on to make this clear in chapter 6 where he says the old self was crucified with Him. That is, the the cross is where redemption took place, where He paid the price, and, and, and our old self was crucified. We died with Him. And Paul says that when we believe, the old self is crucified with Him so that, and here it is, we are no longer slaves of sin. Lutron. He freed us from our union with sin And it wasn't just in theory. It wasn't just theologically. No, it is a reality. And it's a reality that we often forget. Those of us who have been Christians a long time don't often remember, much less really realize what happened to us, much less like revel in it. We tend to take our freedom in Christ for granted. But those who have recently come to Christ, who have really come to Christ... And there are a lot of pew sitters who haven't truly come to Christ, but those who have don't take their freedom for granted. For them, them so often, this freedom from their past is just too good to be true. And these stories can remind us of what we have in Christ, so we don't take it for granted. It's one of many reasons why we need uh, new believers in our midst. We need them as much as they need us to remind us of what happened way back when Um, we need to share the gospel and bring them in as our mission and values call us to do for our sake as much as theirs I was reminded of this a while back as I was listening to Decision Today. Some of you may listen to that as well. It's on the Moody Bible Network, a, a daily radio ministry by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It's the story of how a man named Doc Louvier came to Christ. Doc was a soldier of fortune. He was a major drug dealer. In New Orleans, he was a party animal with the motorcycle crowd and he was a very angry man who would beat his girlfriend mercilessly until God redeemed him from his sin and set him free and the rest is history, you may have heard him of him. If not, listen, his girlfriend Pat had just come to Christ at this little white church and the story starts with her. So let's flesh out this doctrine and see what it actually looks like. Let's sit back and pretend like, you know, we're a family listening to a story uh, in the living room, and a long and captivating story about someone who's just been adopted into our family, like all of us were at one time or another. It's the story of a person who ended up starting a community ministry. One like some of you are involved in, a kind of ministry that our mission and values calls us to be involved in like never before. The narrator says. Pat had just come to Christ in this little white church and then they have Pat speak. They're actually telling their own story. I, I wish we could play it, but it's uh, not possible. But she said, I was determined to serve the Lord when I came to Christ and I just started praying and seeking God saying, Lord, you, I, I know you redeem me, that you set me free and I want to live my life for you and you either save me from getting hurt by my boyfriend or get him out of my life. Doc couldn't figure out when he saw her after she came back from church what was different, but he knew immediately that she was not the same woman. He said, we were fixing to have another Christmas party with bikers and I made her come with me and I thought something was wrong because she just wasn't smoking pot or doing drugs anymore. I thought she was just sick. He was still sure that nothing could come of his worthless life. He was on the verge of despair. When finally he came to the conclusion, the narrator says that it was time to end his life. I found a tree, and I picked the tree out, and I went to get the rope, and I would hang myself there. Before he went to hang himself, he decided he wanted to see Pat one last time. And he walked into the house, and she was crying, and she says, Doc, we can't go on like this anymore. I said, Babe, don't worry. Everything's going to be cool. She says, Doc, I didn't tell you that when I was out partying and I went to this little church, I met Christ. Jesus is real. He saved me and he delivered me and he set me free. I said, it might be cool for you, but it is not for me. She says, Doc, I'm going to church tonight. Will you come to church with me? I told her, if I go to church, that ceiling's coming down. You know me. You do your thing, I'll do mine. She told him that after living with him for five years, she had never asked him for anything until now. And that request was to go to church with her. Amazingly, he agreed. He said, I rode my old Harley, and I had spiked wristbands on each wrist, and I had long hair and a long beard and Nazi stickers on a motorcycle vest, carrying a chain. I was a terrible-looking sight. Doc thought the churchgoers would reject him, but the minister of the little church had done street ministry for many years, and he told his parishioners regularly that no matter what a person looked like, they deserved to be welcome in Jesus' name. Doc got the message. They, they, They were acting, he said, like I was part of their family and I had just come back home. And when he gave that altar call, I wanted to meet that man called Jesus. I tried to get up, and I sat back down. I tried to get up, and I sat back down. It seemed like I was playing seesaw in this church. I was fighting my flesh as I'd get up, and I'd sit back down. Finally, one of the times I got up, I had a notion i need to run, or I'd need to run, or I'd never get saved. So I took off running all my might, And when I realized how fast I was going, I tried to stop and it was an old cement floor and I started going to a slide. And the preacher, I was coming right to him. The preacher just opened his legs and I slid right through his legs. It was like I hit a home run. And I ran my bases and I came home. And actually, that's what happened. I found my way back home. I said, preacher, you don't understand, man. I'm crazy in my head. If somebody's liable to look at me in the wrong way, I can take the pews and beat up your people. What kind of preacher are you that you want someone like that in your church? And he says, you won't beat nobody up. I thought it was some big dude in the place. And I said, What you mean I won't beat nobody up? These bunch of squares, I can take two, three, no sweat. He said, Doc, you listen to me. Once you accept Jesus in your heart, you won't want to beat nobody up. Doc accepted Christ that night. But how is he going to turn his life around after living a life of a drug dealer and of an outlaw for so long? Well, just sit back and listen to the rest of the story of how he got set free, how he was fully Lutron redeemed. He said, I got saved that night. I got home and Pat and I, all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I, I get scared of a woman. She comes in one room, I take off running. Preacher didn't have time to preach on adultery or anything, but I knew in my heart something just was not right anymore. I just didn't look at her like I used to look at her before. And for for sure, I could not go and lay in the bed with her. Next morning, he realized there was another pressing issue, and that is his addiction to drugs and alcohol. He said, oh, my veins was beaten like a heartbeat. I closed my eyes. I could see a rig, and I wanted that fixed so bad. And I was walking up and down crying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it no more. I do not want to do this no more. Was he changed or what? Not sure what to do, he called the minister of the little white church who met him for prayer. Since Doc sometimes worked as a deep sea fisherman, the preacher suggested that he try going out to sea. Since it was the low season, Doc didn't think he'd be able to find work. But after calling up a captain that he had worked for, he was told that a man on board just happened to need to be dropped off on the shore and replaced that very day. The captain said, If you get ready, we're coming to pick you up in five minutes and you have yourself a job. The boat's not going to tie up, he's just going to jump off and you're going to jump on as soon as the boat comes to the dock because we've got to get back offshore. So I get up and I get ready like I'm going for my life. And he went. Pat was left behind, and she too had realized that uh, their living situation wasn't something that God was pleased with. She said, the Lord did separate us, and that timing, I, and during that time, I got to seek God and pray and ask God to help me, and I knew he'd be coming back, you know, like he was gone for work, and he was gone for weeks at a time, but I knew he was coming back, so I went to church one night, and the preacher could see that there was something not, you know, that I wasn't settled in my spirit about something. The preacher asked if he could pray with her and she eagerly agreed. She said, as he was praying, I was praying. Well, Lord, if he's gonna be the man that you have for me, we need to make this right. We can't go on living like this any longer. But I knew in my heart that he would be coming home and there would have to be some decisions made and that's when I had told the Lord, I said he will either that, that he really gets set free And that we get married and go on with our lives or just get him out of my life. And that was hard because I really loved him. That same night I came home and I put the children to bed and I just started to continue praying. And I just went to bed and I started praying, Lord, we need to make this right. I know the time's coming when he's coming home and we need to you know, get this thing situated, this marriage thing, or he's just gonna go on his own. And no sooner, Then I was praying in my bed. The phone rang. Then they cut back to Doc's story, and the narrator says on the fishing boat, Doc had started going through withdrawal and struggling with his new faith, but he had stayed strong. God's love was real. He said during the course of that 18 days, it was was a rehab center for me. I got totally delivered from drugs, alcohol, and I have never done drugs. I've never backslid for the 23 and a half years I've now been serving the Lord. He was so excited about what had happened on the boat that he realized there was one more thing to be set straight. He said, I called my girlfriend on the marine radio and I told her, I said, baby, we got some wild things happening out here in the Gulf. I know Jesus is real. He's working in me, delivering me from drugs. But as soon as this boat comes into port and I can tie this boat up, I'm jumping on my motor scooter to come and get you. You call your old preacher. He's got to marry us. Then Pat breaks in. He told me, she said, I do love you. And he says, I want to spend the rest of our lives together. And, uh, and he says, when I get home, he says, I want you to marry me. Will you marry me? And she says, yes, yes. Praise God. You know, it was over the radio and I just said, yes, yes. And that was the end of our conversation right there. On Sunday morning, right after church, Doc and Pat were married. Our friends were there, she said, and they couldn't believe that he was actually getting married because they knew him how he was a Don Juan or something. But anyway, thank God. There's always hope, you know. And my desire is the young ladies of today, they're searching in their hearts for some kind of prince to come in and wipe them off their feet like a Cinderella story or, you know, something like that, you know, but it's Jesus who they really need. Once the Lord comes into your life, it's, if it's God's will to have a mate, he's got one especially for you. And my mission in life is to reach out to these women who don't know this. And today, well, you can find Doc and Pat at uh, circuitrider.org. They're the founders and coordinators of Circuit Rider Ministries. It's what they call a ministry of helps. Just like we've got ministries of helps out there. We're wired to serve as one of our gifts as a body. Ministry of helps. They reach out beyond the church walls into neighborhoods, prisons, and nations, taking the gospel message and demonstrating the love of Christ to thousands of desperate and needy people, just like our final val- value calls us to, to, to uh, engage our neighbors. Our neighbors. The underserved around us and the nations, sharing the truth of the gospel through ministries of help, through love in action. And by God's grace, we're going to go for it like never before. The theme of this ministry of theirs is based on Matthew 16:15, and he called them unto them, saying, "Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel." to every creature some of you again are involved in ministries like these from Room for Hope to House of Neighborly Service to Lago Vista which our mission and values now call us to go for all the more among many other things yeah this new liberty that we're talking about today is not just theological not just doctrinal it is real our desires have changed, and our lives have changed too. Just look around you. Look at some of the ki- what some of the kids are doing at school, if you're a kid at school, the kids who aren't saved. Or maybe people in your own family or your extended family. Just talk to the police about what they run into you know, on the other side of the tracks. It's a whole different world out there. Compared to all that, we've been set free. And for the sake of all that, we need to get out there and help others do the same. Again, as our final value says, should you give the approval next weekend, we engage our neighbors, the underserved around us, and the nations, sharing the truth of the gospel with love in action. Ministries of helps. The good news is, over it all, that his grace is greater than what? All our sin, if you could come on down. So let's really celebrate now that we've been reminded of what we've got, okay? Let's celebrate as we remember what God has done for us.